Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL. NHTalkRadio.com, a delight to have you with us on this Wednesday morning. And we are expecting the arrival of Dan Weed from Weed Family Automotive momentarily. And Dan would be happy to take your questions at 603-224-1450 if you have any, any automotive concerns or inquiries that you would like Dan to answer. Uh, I'm sure he would be most Happy to do it. Again, 603-224-1450. And that, of course, is our AM frequency, 1450 WKXL, along with a 1039 FM in the Capital Region and 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond. Great to have you with us on this Wednesday. Our sponsor is Northeast Delta Dental. And Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at DeltaDentalCoversMe.com. Very excited about uh, what's going to take place next week on Kale and & Company. And uh, that is, it's going to be New Hampshire's Authors Week. New Hampshire authors are plentiful. Uh, we have uh, lots of authors here uh, in the Granite State. We are going to feature five next week from uh, Monday through Friday, thanks to our, our great partners at the New Hampshire Writers Project. And uh, Masheri uh, Chappelle has uh, put most of this together. And uh, thank you to her for, for doing that and highlighting some of the uh, terrific and talented uh, authors that we have here uh, in the Granite State. So we will be doing that uh, next Monday through Friday right here on uh, Kale and & Company, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, they have some interesting stories to tell. They're all uh, fascinating people, basically from uh, all different walks of life, and it's going to be a very uh, interesting and informative as well as uh, entertaining week with five of the top authors from New Hampshire. So uh, look forward to that next Monday through Friday right here on uh, Kale & Company on uh, WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Uh, as uh, some of you know, uh, the Red Sox lost last night to the Oakland A's 3-0. Uh, uh, that game uh, in Oakland, two teams will play the rubber game of their series Tonight, uh, actually this afternoon, uh, in Oakland at around uh, 3.37. That will be the first pitch for that game in Oakland this afternoon. And then the Red Sox will uh, fly home after the game, have a day off tomorrow, and host the New York Mets in a series over the weekend. That's the bad news that the Red Sox lost. I guess the only positive thing last night to come out of uh, Major League Baseball from a Red Sox perspective is that every team in the American League East lost last night. All five teams in baseball's best division were losers last night, including the Red Sox. So right now, the Red Sox are in fourth place in the American League East with a record of 51-45. and 45. And they're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. You hate to see them lose games to 
a team like Oakland, far and away the uh, worst team in major in the major leagues right now at 26 and 71. No one's even close to being as bad as the Oakland A's are. And you hate to see the Red Sox lose opportunities against a team like that, but that's in fact what happened uh, last night. So the Tampa Bay Rays with the second best record in all of baseball, leading the American League East by just one game over the Baltimore Orioles. Can you believe that? Baltimore, one game in back of Tampa Bay in the American League East, followed by Toronto at five and a half out. Red Sox are eight games back. And the New York Yankees right now in last place in the American League East. And uh, they are nine games in back of Tampa Bay. But, you know, there's uh, the wild card, of course, uh, at stake. And uh, right now, uh, the Red Sox are just a game and a half out of the third wild card. So... The Major League Baseball trading deadline is coming up at the end of this month. And we always talk uh, in in baseball parlance about buyers and sellers at the trade deadline. Will your favorite team be a buyer? Meaning, will they be looking to add players to their roster that can help them down the stretch of this season? Or... Have they reconciled themselves to the fact that, hey, this may not be our year and we're going to sell off some of the assets we have to other teams for minor league talent or in some cases maybe a a marginal major league player. But there are buyers and there are sellers at the Major League Baseball trading deadline, which is July 31st. Now, the big question coming up at the Major League Baseball trading deadline will be the status of Shohei Otani. The best player in baseball, the most valuable player in baseball. I don't think anybody would argue with that. I mean, he has two players in one. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball, and he may be the best all-around hitter in baseball. So you got... Two players in one with Shohei Otani, who is completing his sixth season, six, with the Los Angeles Angels. Shohei is getting frustrated because the Angels have not made the playoffs in any of his six years with the ball club. Now, Mike Trout, the Angels' other superstar, And one of the great players in baseball, he's in his 13th year right now with the Angels. Since Mike Trout has been with the Los Angeles Angels, they have gone to three playoff games. Three. Count them. And they lost all of them. So Mike Trout is getting getting frustrated, too. I mean, you have two of the great players in baseball playing for the Los Angeles Angels in Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. And Shohei has never been to the postseason, and you know that he would love to be in the postseason. He got to, you know, show off to the world uh, the talents that he possesses in the World Baseball Classic. And Japan won the uh, World Baseball Classic 
thanks to Shohei Otani. And uh, he was certainly the, the prime reason for it. There were other contributors as well. Masataka Yoshida, who plays for the Red Sox now, was a prime contributor for that Japanese team as well. But, you know, the big news was Otani. And, of course, the way that World Baseball Classic ended, it was Japan against the United States. And the final out of the game was Shohei Otani striking out his Angels teammate, Mike Trout, for the final out of the World Baseball Classic and giving the title to Japan. So Shohei Otani is at the end of his contract after this year, can become a free agent if the Angels don't sign him, and he will become, without question, the highest-paid athlete in the history of North American sports. There's no doubt about that, and I don't think anybody would question that. So what do the Angels do? The Angels right now are four and a half games out of the third wild card spot. Mike Trout is out. He's got a bad wrist. There's no idea. Uh, no one has any clue as to when Mike Trout is going to be returning to the Los Angeles Angels. He could be out for the rest of the year. So what do they do? Do they trade Shohei Otani? It's certainly been discussed and get some valuable, valuable assets from another team. Or do they just play it out, see what happens, hope they get a wild card, hope they get in the postseason, and then take their chances on signing him? I get the feeling from what we heard last week at the Major League All-Star Game that Otani, who was quoted as saying, Losing sucks in Japanese. He's he's tired of losing. He's tired of losing with the Angels. So I don't think he wants to be with the Angels anymore. I think the Angels would be better off trading him to someone who is going to give them some great minor league talent, maybe a couple of uh, ready-made major league players at the same time, and then that team that would acquire him will maybe get an agreement with Otani to extend a contract and make him the highest-paid athlete ever in the history of North America. Or maybe they'll use him as a rental and put them over the top and maybe go on to win the World Series this year. It's an, a dilemma that the Angels have, and I'll tell you what, it's, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks to see how it all plays out. But we'll know by the 31st of July. I'll take a break. Kale and Company continues here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 on the FM dial in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester, and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Stay with us. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company Live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Great to have you with us. It's a Wednesday, and we are with you until uh, the top of the hour. Maybe a surprise or two uh, along the way. We're talking a little baseball in the uh, first segment, and 
the dilemma the Los Angeles Angels have with Shohei Otani, the most talented baseball player we have ever seen. I mean, I think we can we can make that a blanket statement. He can pitch. He'll win a Cy Young Award one of these days. He can hit. You know, he's on the same pace as Aaron Judge last year when Judge hit an American League record, 62 home runs. Shohei Otani is on the same pace as Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees. How about that? Uh, Major League Baseball uh, had a night of offense not seen in 129 years with 12 teams scoring double-digit runs. 12 teams. That's right. Tied uh, May 30th, uh, 1884. May 30th, 1884 for the uh, second most with double-digit runs in one day, trailing only uh, 13 on July 4th, 1894, according to the Elias Sports Bureau research. The Chicago Cubs topped the scoring on Tuesday night by routing the Washington Nationals 17-3. And Arizona outlasted Atlanta 16-13. How about that? Cubs and the Nats combining for 20 runs. Arizona and Atlanta combining for 29. San Francisco beat Cincinnati. The New York Mets defeated the Chicago White Sox. And Kansas City edged Detroit all by scores of 11 to 10. Now, the Elias Sports Bureau said that that score had never occurred three times on the same day, 11 to 10. But it did yesterday. Giants over the Reds, Mets over the White Sox, and Kansas City over Detroit, all by a score of 11 to 10. Four games in which both teams scored double-digit runs matched the record of July 4th, 1894, and July 9th, 1898, according to uh, Major League Baseball. In a more mundane 10-3 route, there were two of those. The Dodgers beat the Orioles, and Minnesota defeated Seattle. Cleveland topped Pittsburgh 10-1. San Diego fell just short, stranding a runner at second base in the ninth inning of a 9-1 victory at Toronto. So there you go. Lots of high-scoring games yesterday in Major League Baseball. Not a high-scoring game in Oakland, where the A's blanked the Red Sox by a score of three to nothing. So uh, there you have it, and uh, high-scoring night in Major League Baseball. And again, uh, the big news in baseball will be coming in the next couple of weeks, one way or the other. Uh, whether the Angels trade Shohei Otani or keep him and gamble that they can re-sign him at the end of the year. But no guarantees. And my, my guess is he wants out of the Angels. Angels have been, in my, in my opinion, in my opinion, a cursed franchise. 
They've had so many injuries, debilitating injuries that have uh, cost players their careers. They've had a, a couple of deaths over the years uh, during the season, active players passing away in a couple of instances with the, uh, the Angels over the last uh, 20 to 25 years. And they have just been a team that has had no luck whatsoever. And it's, uh, to me, a jinxed franchise. And I think Otani can see this, or at least see that they're not building uh, a very good supporting cast around himself and Mike Trout. And as a result, Shohei wants out. He wants to play. I mean, he wants to play in the World Series. I mean, a player of his magnitude, what a shame it would be if Shohei Otani went through his entire major league career without even playing in the World Series. In fact, the way it looks now, there's a chance he might not even get to the playoffs in his career if he stays with the Angels. So he wants to go where he can win, and who could blame him? A player of his magnitude, a player of his talent, a a, a talent that we have never seen before. We've never seen the like of it in Major League Baseball. Why would he want to stay with a floundering franchise like the Angels have been for years? So he wants out. I mean, uh, you know, he's not saying it in so many words, but he did say that losing is not his favorite thing. Let's put it that way. And he's a very competitive guy. And uh, the MVP of the World Baseball Classic. Uh, he should be the MVP every year in Major League Baseball. They gave it to Judge last year. And, you know, he did hit 62 home runs in American League record. But I, I don't know how you could find anybody more valuable than uh, Shohei Otani. But, of course, you're you know using those skills for the uh, also-ran team. So, I don't know. It's, it's just a, a, whole, a big dilemma, and it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Here's, here's my guess. Here's my prognostication to you folks. Shoei Otani will not be traded by the Los Angeles Angels. They will not trade him before the deadline. That is my opinion. And it would just go along with the series, the series of uh, (laughs) maneuvers that the Angels have made over the years, putting them in the spot that they've been for decades. And that's pretty much an also-ran franchise because they have uh, the the greatest player in baseball in in Shoei Otani. They could get a lot of young talent for, for him. But he'll finish the year with the Angels, in my opinion, and then sign a big, big, big contract with some other team. And they won't get anything for him. And by the way, the uh, NFL Super Bowl odds are out, ladies and gentlemen. And who is the favorite to win the Super Bowl? It is the defending champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Followed in this order by the Philadelphia Eagles, the San Francisco 49ers, the Buffalo Bills, the Cincinnati Bengals, 
the Dallas Cowboys, the New York Jets, the Baltimore Ravens, the Miami Dolphins, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Detroit Lions, the Los Angeles Chargers. Geez, you know, I haven't gotten to uh, a, a certain team as yet. Then it's the Cleveland Browns, the New Orleans Saints, the Seattle Seahawks, the Denver Broncos, the Minnesota Vikings, the New York Giants, the Las Vegas Raiders, Green Bay Packers, Chicago Bears, and then, then, my friends, the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots. So, uh, you know, if you were a betting person, if you were to bet on one of the draft apps or go to Las Vegas and make a bet in person and you put, let's say, $50, let's say $50 on the Patriots, as far as my calculations are concerned, and I could be wrong about this, I could be wrong about this because the figures are a little bit too high, but if you put... $50 on the Patriots right now, and they went on to win the Super Bowl, you would collect $30,000. $30,000 if they went on to to win the Super Bowl. Uh, That calculation may be wrong, but it's in that vicinity anyway. So... So the team least likely to win the Super Bowl, the Houston Texans and the Arizona Cardinals tied for the teams least likely to succeed in the 2023-2024 National Football League season. Boy, 50 bucks on the Patriots to win maybe 30,000 plus? Hey, might, might be worth a shot. Might be worth a shot, folks. We will uh, take a break. Kale and Company continues right after these words on AM 1450 WKXL 103.9 in the Capital Region, 101.9 in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. We're presented by Northeast Delta Dental with individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at Delta Dental. CoversMe.com. We'll be back after the break and talk a, a little bit more baseball with a special guest right after these words on WKXL NHTalkRadio.com. Please stay with us. Good morning. It is Kale and Company live right here on WKXL NHTalkRadio.com. Great to have you along with us. We are presented by. Northeast Delta Dental. And uh, joining us today on the program is New York Times best-selling author Tim Brown, who along with former big league catcher Eric Kratz, whose name I'm sure is familiar to many of you, they have uh, collaborated on a great new book called The Tao of the Backup Catcher, Playing Baseball for the Love of the Game. And uh, Tim, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, and I apologize to all your listeners for my voice. It's been a, a rugged couple days on uh, on this end. Well, I'm sure you've been talking a lot about this uh, terrific book. Tim has covered baseball for more than uh, 30 years and has written two New York Times bestsellers, The Phenomenon with uh, Rick Ankeel 
and Imperfect with Jim Abbott. And in 2016, Tim was awarded first place in beat writing by the AP Sports Editors. And Tim, when did you uh, first encounter your co-author on uh, this book, uh, Eric Kratz? Well, that, again, that was a bit of a journey for me because uh, I've been covering baseball since the late 80s. And I had found along the way that the in every clubhouse I walked into, about my favorite guy was the backup catcher. Uh, they were uh, humble. They had a great perspective on life. They had sort of this worldview that was a bit unusual. You've been in enough clubhouses, I'm sure, to know. It's a little unusual in a baseball clubhouse. And so I was carrying this vibe with me for years and years and years and always sort of wondering what I was going to do with sort of the, my observations and how I, my respect for these guys and the job they did. And about five years ago, Eric Kratz and I connected and we just started talking about life and, and his journey and, uh, you know, possibility of putting something together. And I, I thought that, uh, rather than doing a, a book about one backup catcher, that I would love to do a book on all of the backup catchers or the culture of backup catchers using Eric's story, 19 years as a, as a professional ball player, 14 different organizations, uh, 120-some transactions <laughs> as sort of the spine of this, this endeavor. So that, that's the story of that. Well, he, he must hold a record for transactions, or, or pretty much uh, <laughs> very close to it, for sure. Now, to localize things uh, a little bit, Eric Kratz had five tours of duty with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats from yes, 2000, yep, 2004 to 2008. And uh, don't worry, folks, there are mentions of Manchester and uh, the barn that uh, Tim and his wife lived in, and uh, also the fact that his wife Sarah sold costume jewelry on uh, South Willow Street in Manchester. So th- th- there's a lot of local ties uh, in this book, Tim. No doubt yeah, about and that. I think, I, I think you'd uh, probably understand that as much as Eric loved, loved, loved that area, uh, that right around the third or fourth time he was tired of going back there. <laughs> I don't blame him. Uh, he, was, he was ready to move on to another <laughs> level and stay at that level. Uh, you know, it was, it was purely a baseball thing, uh, but he really did like it there. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a great facility and uh, great great people, great organization, but you, you understand that uh, obviously you want to move up in the ranks, go to AAA, go to the major leagues. Tim, what is a C2? A C2 is a backup catcher, and that is – Scouts notation, so you don't have to write out backup catcher every time. And it's part of this, you know, sort of how they've lumped scouts, uh, farm directors, scouting directors, how they how they sort of sort out this massive band of catchers because, you know, the organizations need bunches of catchers because they have bunches of pitchers. And uh, so, the, you know, the C is just, a number one catcher, and then you have the C2 is the backup catcher, and then you have all these other guys who are like org guys, uh, bounce guys, catch and throw guy. You know, it's yeah. just, there's a lot of different things, but uh, you know, the, the C2 is where that would thrive. 
Now, as far as uh, Eric Kratz is concerned, he, he was more uh, than a C2. He did something in, in 2016 uh, that no other player in baseball has done since 1879. 18, 1879, I'm saying. In, in 2016, uh, Kratz uh, started the year in Houston, uh, where he caught in 14 games and pitched in a mop-up role in uh, one game in April. And then uh, Eric uh, wound up with the Angels in AAA. And then the Angels uh, dealt him to Pittsburgh, where he caught in 18 games and pitched in another one. And thus right. becoming the first player in Major League Baseball to both pitch and catch for two different teams in the same season in over 140 years, and that's probably a distinction he's going to have for quite some time. <laughs> well, you, you can't keep a good knuckleball down. There, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, you, you've been around baseball, Tim, uh, a long time, as we outlined, and uh, you you know, the, the as you pointed out, the most accurate source of information is, in fact, the backup catcher, and I don't care what level you're at. I, I broadcast baseball in the in the low minor leagues for uh, several years, and even there, uh, that that is the situation. That do you go to that backup catcher if you want to know something? Well, they spend an awful lot of time watching baseball, you know, uh, and they get look. They're as close to that pitching staff, probably closer to the pitching staff than the number one catcher is. Because he's playing the game. You know, the the backup catcher is in the bullpen. He's catching bullpen sessions. He's in the dugout during the game. He is uh, not playing very often. So, and, and a lot of pitchers are not pitching very often. So there's a, an awful lot of time there for relationships. And I think what happens, Ken, is that these guys become almost an extension of the coaching staff. Uh, and particularly as they get a bit older and a bit more veteran and have accepted this role uh, on the team in the game of uh, being father figure, big brother, priest, therapist, drinking buddy, warlock, whatever you need out of them, they start to become because I think they begin to understand that if they're not going to be able to have full value on the field, that they must have value in other areas. And, and this is where they become these quote-unquote gel guys or coaches extensions and things like that that allows them to stick around and often enough um, might get them a big league shot. Yeah, absolutely so. Our guest is Tim Brown, along with Eric Kratz, the author, or the authors of uh, The Tau of the Backup Catcher, playing baseball for the love of the game and uh, Tim, lots of analytics in the game these days, war, OPS, exit velocity. You could go on and on and on, but you can never really quantify the value of a backup catcher with any kind of statistic. Right. You know, I spent a lot of time talking to, for example, Theo Epstein about this very topic. And, uh, you know, it was, <laughs> it was good for me because uh, I was never – particularly math inclined. And so when the analytics era came along, I got sort of left behind a little bit. Um, and what was interesting to me is that Theo, as a young man, uh, initially in San Diego, uh, included the backup catcher in his analytical models 
when and at the time it would have been twenty five man roster. Today it's twenty six. Um, in 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 terms of how to how you're going to win the most games analytically, this is how it's going to work. And over time, he came to learn after sort of messing up a few times on this front that the backup catcher must stand alone. So in current times, that would be 25 guys who fit the analytical model and the backup catcher uh, as something quite different. (laughs) It's a guy that a manager doesn't have to worry about. He already has 25 guys who want to play more or want to play less or want to play different positions or want to hit somewhere in the order. He's already got enough of that. What he needs is a guy who can... Uh, uh, bring something different. Where is the value? And this is where the the team leadership, the friendships, the things like that become really critical. And a guy who accepts his role. Where are your feet? In, in this journey, are who are you going to be in this journey? And the backup catcher typically accepts where he is in the journey, even if he is not completely, quote unquote, satisfied with where he is. Well, Tim, we're going to take a very quick break here. Tim Brown is with us, and along with uh, Eric Kratz, they've authored a terrific book, The uh, Tao of the Backup Catcher, Playing Baseball for the Love of the Game. WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. It's Kale and Company Live. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental, and we will be right back. We are back, Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, and very happy to have with us this morning the Tao of the backup catcher playing baseball for the love of the game, author Tim Brown, who authored this book along with Eric Kratz. It is just out on the market, folks, and if you love baseball, especially some some great stories of baseball, uh, you will want to pick up uh, a copy of, of this book for sure. And I'm sure, Tim, it's uh, available where all fine books are found on uh, Amazon and the, the best bookstores around, right? Man, I hope so, Ken. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny, but uh, when you think about it, uh, many backup catchers, after their playing days are done, have made terrific uh, baseball radio and TV analysts, and, and, and in some cases even play-by-play guys, like Joe Garagiola and uh, Kevin Kennedy. Uh, the one that really comes to mind is a, a guy who's still doing it in, in his late 80s, and that's Bob Euchre. And he was, uh, he was a, a backup catcher uh, for a long, long time in the major leagues. Right. I, I, you know, I think it's for the same reason that at this moment, 14 of the current 30 big league managers were backup catchers for at least parts of their career. Mm, um, yeah. And it's about, it's about observing the game. You know, at times, you know, even though they're perhaps their media career takes them in a different direction, you know, you spend enough time keeping your mouth shut and watching what's going on and coming to understand not only the game, but the people who play the game, it makes you an expert. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And uh, those guys have uh, broken it down, and uh, you know, and did it for so many years. And uh, it's amazing. Bob Euchre still still doing it for the Milwaukee Brewers, and I believe he's uh, eighty nine years old. But he sounds fantastic. He really does. <laughs> yeah, he does. And and you know, there's a folksiness. There's a how do you talk to people um, sort of vibe to it as well. It's not just you know 
okay, you get the game, but can you talk to people? Can they, do they feel like you are bringing them along uh, through, through a three-hour experience? Yeah, and uh, all of those gentlemen uh, did it, and uh, and Bob Euchre still doing it uh, very, very well. And as as you mentioned, uh, there are so many uh, that go on to manage not only at the big league level but uh, on the minor league level as well. You see, uh, very many catchers uh, that have uh, jobs in the minor leagues, either as either as managers or, or coaches, scouts, you name it, and they are abundant uh, in number. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, the fact that you know a lot of a lot of guys go on backup catchers and uh, Kevin Cash, a very prominent manager now with the Tampa Bay Rays, was a backup catcher with a number of teams, including the Red Sox. And, and tell us a little bit. There's a, a story in the uh, in the book about uh, his relationship and how he approached uh, uh, catching knuckleballer Tim Wakefield <laughs> when he when he was forced to do that. I feel like Kevin thought he was like the battered stepchild of that relationship, um, which I, I'm not making that a joke. I, 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 I feel like, um, you know, he, um, you know, he wore whatever, whatever Tim Wakefield wanted, Kevin Cash delivered. And, you know, that's the role, right? I mean, you, as a backup catcher, whatever they want you to be, you have to be. And, you know, I, the, Mike, conversations with Kevin were, were really interesting because he, he was a guy, you know, like everybody who was, he could hit. There was a period in his life where he could really hit. You don't get to the big league or at least get a shot at pro ball without being able to hit a little bit. And you do go through that morning period where it's like, geez, I thought I was going to hit my whole life. I've been hitting forever. So you start to uh, sort of measure that against what is the reality, right? And and you uh, you become uh, whoever is you know these uh, you know in a situation like that where where you're almost a personal catcher. Uh, that's the re- you know that's the reason you're in the big leagues because because he's happy with you. So you got to maintain that relationship and make sure that he's still happy with you, and whether that's going out for an early breakfast or going out for a late beer and everything in between. Uh, it's, it's not just about catching the knuckleball or chasing down the knuckleball. There's more to it than that. And I guess, you know, the vast majority of the innings that Kevin Cash spent catching for the Boston Red Sox were catching Tim Wakefield, who, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, if his ball wasn't fluttering, his knuckleball wasn't fluttering the, the way he wanted to, he could be uh, very, very difficult to, to catch. And, and, uh, and Kevin Cash also had to be kind of a, a psychologist as well with Tim Wakefield. Yeah, I think that's a role they all take. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's about drawing the very best out of the guys around you. And I, and I do think that this is where the book sort of crosses over into real life in that, uh, you know, I think all of us sort of need to think about who we are to the person standing next to us. You know, are, are we going to be all about ourselves or are we going to uh, operate sort of in the, with the interest of the greater good in mind? And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy, particularly in a sport where it's, you know, you got to be sort of selfish to be that good at something. And, and, you know, even the worst guy in the worst, uh, worst roster in the league, uh, 
uh, probably has a street named after him somewhere in some little town. And there's a lot of pride involved in it. And that's, it's difficult to give that much of yourself away. Uh, but I think that the best backup catchers have learned how to do that. What would you like readers, uh, Tim, to uh, take away from this book? You know, I what I'm hoping is a little along the lines of what I was just talking about, is that we're all on these journeys, and you have to be on this journey. And, I, and we talked a little bit about how, you know, none of these guys are perfectly happy or satisfied being a backup catcher. But today, that's what they are. And you can either decide to be really good at that, um, be the best dang backup catcher you can be, and catch the best dang side session at 3 o'clock in the afternoon under blinding heat uh, that you can be, or you can gripe about it. And I think that um, the best backup catchers and the best among us uh, choose not to do that and choose to take a, a higher road. You know, uh, I think there's a, a recurring theme uh, in in the three books you have written uh, with uh, Rick Ann Keel, uh, who uh, switched from a pitcher to an outfielder, to uh, Jim Abbott, the uh, remarkable pitcher who had just a one arm. That was his left arm. And, uh, and, and Eric Kratz, all, you know, just pictures of perseverance. Yeah, well, uh, it, you know, uh, when you're writing a book, uh, you better be passionate about the subject. <laughs> because otherwise, I'm sure it could be a real flaw. And these are the types of people... Uh, who inspire me, who make me feel better about uh, the game and better about society. And uh, hopefully uh, I have uh, at least could attempt to uh, help others along the way. And, and I think, I don't know, it was just, uh, uh, they spoke to me, the subject spoke to me uh, in more than just a literal sense. Um, and, you know, I hope, I remember talking to Jim very often about, you know, I don't know how many people are going to read this book, but if we can help one little boy or one little girl feel a little better about themselves, then then it's been worthwhile. No, absolutely so, and uh, I hope they do. It's a it's a terrific read, uh, Tim. No no doubt about that. Thank you. What what are you working on now? I'm working on a. Uh, we can't quite announce it yet, but a uh, big biography on a big famous person uh, who played baseball. So uh, probably in the next few months, we'll be able to uh, uh, put that out in the world, and, and I'm excited for it. So we'll keep you guessing on, on that one, folks. <laughs> and hopefully when, yeah. when, it, when it comes to fruition, uh, we, we will have Tim back on the show. How, how long did it take uh, to, to write this book? I mean, you, you talked to, uh, we, we've been mentioning, uh, you know, Eric Kratz, and we, we mentioned Kevin Cash, but I, I know you talked to uh, other backup catchers as well. Yeah, dozens of those guys. It was about two years, Ken, and, and uh, you know, you mentioned that you, you know the backup catchers and, and who they are, what they're all about, and there are worse ways to spend two years of your life than talking to backup catchers. No, talk, no doubt. We laughed. We had great stories. It was really fun. Yeah, and uh, they're usually quite a bit more humble than, than some of their uh, their contemporaries. So, <laughs> yeah, it was really it was really terrific. Yeah, just just before we have to wrap it up, what do you think about the changes that have been made to the game this year? Are you in favor of what's been done? 
Well, I'm a little disappointed that the changes came along when I stopped doing the beat every day. Uh, all I can think about is all those nights driving away from ballparks at 1 o'clock in the morning, and now everybody gets home by 10.30. So uh, I'm a little ticked off by it. Oh, I like it, I like it this way, and, and I, I, hope, I hope they keep it during the postseason. I think it works fine. Yeah, very good. Well... Tim Brown, thanks so much for being with us today. Your, your book is a, a great read, and uh, I know people will uh, be be intrigued by it, especially if uh, especially if they love the game of baseball. I hope so too. Thank uh, you, Ken, uh, very much. Uh, I appreciate your time. Uh, all right, thank you, Tim. Tim Brown, along with former New Hampshire Fisher Cats catcher Eric Kratz, and again, the name of the book is "The Tau of the Backup Catcher Playing Baseball for the Love of the Game."